0: I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to our text for this Lord's Day in Acts 16, verses 11 through 15. Eleven through fifteen. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. When we figure out our household budget, we wouldn't exclude from that budget the needs of our children. Why? Because we view our children as being members of our household, members of our family. When we think of training our children, we don't exclude even our little ones until they are able to talk, until they are able to speak. We're training our children, even from the time of infancy. Why? Because even from infancy, they are members of a Christian family. Should our babies be excluded from being members of our family when we are commanded by the Apostle Paul to provide for their needs in every way? First 1 Timothy 5.8 But if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. I pray we wouldn't exclude our small little children from that verse. Though I would never have excluded my little ones from my household when they were infants from household needs and providing for them. I did earlier in my Christian life and in my Christian ministry exclude them from my household when it came to baptism. They were not a part of my household when it came to baptism. In every other way, they are part of my household, but not in that way. By God's grace, I've come to see this error and this inconsistency in my doctrine and in my practice. And we want to talk and speak and address that matter in the sermon this Lord's Day. inasmuch much as we will be administering Uh, the sign and seal of baptism uh, to one of our little ones. So let's consider the conversion of Lydia and her baptism, but also the baptism of her household in Acts 16, verses 11 through 15. And we'll be considering the following two main points. Number one, God sovereignly opened Lydia's heart to Christ in verses 11 through 14. And then the second main point, baptism was administered not only to Lydia, but to her household in verse 15. So our first main point, God sovereignly opened Lydia's heart to Christ. In verses 11 through 14, after Paul received the vision, you recall from the man in Macedonia in verse 9 of this chapter, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and now Luke has joined the missionary team because in verse 10, for the first time, the human author, Luke, uses the plural, first-person plural, we, in verse 11, or in verse 10. And they set sail for Macedonia, moving from Asia Minor, crossing the Aegean Sea, into Europe, in verse 11. As the Apostle Paul and the other members of his missionary team arrived in the city, the chief city of Philippi, in verse 12, they found no synagogue there. Uh, uh, historically, we learned that ten men were needed to form a synagogue. That's not found in the scripture, but that is found in Jewish writings. Paul and his missionary team heard that there were, however, a few Jews uh, who gathered on the Sabbath for prayer along the river. And as Paul and his fellow ministers arrived there at the river, there they saw a few women gathered for prayer together on the Sabbath day. And Paul took the occasion to speak to these women that were gathered there. There was one particular woman present among the The women that listened very fervently and very intently to what Paul had to say and her name was Lydia. She was from the city of Thyatira, was situated, which was situated in Asia Minor, which is now modern Turkey. Uh, Subsequently, a church was established there in that very city of Thyatira. And Jesus sends one of his letters, the seven letters in Revelation, the first few chapters, sends one of those letters, is sent to the the ministry in the church of Thyatira. We also learned concerning Lydia that she was a seller of purple, which means that she likely had a lucrative business in which she sold cloth that had been dyed in purple, a fabric that was in great demand at that time, especially by those who were wealthy. Lydia was apparently uh, a widow, uh, uh, unmarried it would seem, for she, we read in verse 15, it's not her husband's household that is baptized, it's her and her household that is baptized. And subsequently, in the same verse, she invites, she invites Paul and his missionary team to come to her house. Uh, not to her and her husband's house, but to her house. Lydia is a Greek name, which likely would indicate that she's a Gentile proselyte. To the Jewish religion. What I would have you carefully note here in these few verses concerning Lydia, first of all, is that I'd have you note the order of salvation that is given here by the Holy Spirit. The order of salvation. First of all, she heard the word preached from Paul. Second, God opened her heart so that she received the word. And third, she believed it. She believed it. And so, in the order of salvation that is given to us here by the Holy Spirit himself, God first regenerated, opened the heart of Lydia to adhere to, to attend to, to believe the gospel. And then she believed. That order is ever so important. Let's not quickly skip over that. First, in other words, she was born again because she was dead in her trespasses and sins. She was born again and then she believed. Until we are born again, none of us can see the kingdom of God by faith. None of us can enter into the kingdom of God by faith until we are first born again. That's what Jesus says in John 3:3. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter into it. He cannot see it by faith. You see, none of us, the truth of the matter is that none of us would come to Christ if it merely depended upon us to will to do so. Because our will, like our mind and our emotions, our will is dead to Christ. Romans 3.11, the Apostle Paul says, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. None. None on our own, apart from God's grace. None of us seeks for God because again the reason being we're all dead in our trespasses and sins that's what Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 5 teaches us we are dead to God we have no life no spiritual life in ourself Our, our mind our emotions and our will is bound and enslaved to ourselves and even dead to God until God, by his grace, gives us new life. That's what we call the new birth. He causes us to be born again. You see, we're all like we read earlier about this young man that was dead in Luke chapter 7, the only son of his mother that was being carried to the grave there was no life in that young man. He was dead. He couldn't will on his own to, to simply get up off of that, uh, uh, out of that beer, that coffin. He couldn't, he couldn't will it on himself. He had no, no ability to do that. And the Bible says we are all like that by nature. We're like that, that dead young man by nature to God. And none of us can will to do so until, as in the case of Lydia, God first opens her heart and gives her life, gives her a desire, gives her faith to receive the promise that is offered in Jesus Christ. You see, salvation is not partly from God and partly from us. As Jonah says, while in the belly of the whale. salvation is of the Lord. From beginning to end, salvation is of the Lord. In fact, our faith in Jesus Christ is entirely a free gift given to us. And God has given us faith to believe and trust in Him. Not because all men possess faith, they just need to exercise it in Christ. In fact, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3:2, not all men have faith. Not all men have faith. But Paul says in Ephesians 2:8 and 9, for by grace. Are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves? That faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And it's given that there be no one who boasts before him. None of us can boast before God that I am the one who first chose God. Or I am the one who exercised faith in God and boast in that. All that we have is a gift, a gracious gift from God, so that no one can boast before God and brag as to what he has brought to salvation. How will you know if the Lord has opened your heart? You'll know that God has opened your heart By the faith he gives you to rest in him as your only hope of forgiveness, as your only hope of righteousness, as your only hope of everlasting life. And the desires that he puts within you to keep his commandments and to walk in faithfulness to him. Not looking to yourself, but looking away from yourself to Jesus Christ. This is what the Lord did for Lydia when he opened her heart to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, which brings us then to the second main point. Baptism was administered not only to Lydia, but to her household. In verse 15, And when she was baptized and her household she besought us, Saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Upon professing her faith in Jesus as a new convert, coming from outside of the New Covenant Church, Lydia was baptized. But she was not the only one that we read of that was baptized. For the text goes on to say, and when she was baptized and her household, the word that is used there, oikos, is the word that may refer to a house uh, that is made of wood or stone. But it came to mean all of those who dwell beneath that roof of that house are the house, are. Uh, the members of that house, are a family, are a household. And this is not the only place that we find what I would call a household baptism, but also in 1 Corinthians 1.16, likewise, the Apostle Paul says, and I baptized also the household of Stephanus, besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. I baptized the household of Stephanus. So this was not an isolated type of of, uh, baptism, household baptism. Uh, This was uh, administered to any that were coming from outside the church, into the church, beginning with those who uh, were the uh, parents, baptizing them based upon the profession of their faith and then administering baptism to those uh, who were within the household, primarily the children. We've already noted that Lydia was most likely not married. So who does that leave as a part of Lydia's household that was baptized? Well, it would leave her children and possibly servants uh, who lived under the authority of her roof as well. Now, we don't know whether Lydia had small children. It doesn't say that she had uh, any infants or babies or small children. We're not told that. But the point that I would submit to you is if we don't know that one way or the other we wouldn't at least know that a, that in speaking of a household in any other context we don't exclude infants and babies from a household and so whether or not in this particular instance there were small children in lydia's house is again i would say not the the main point to take away from this but the fact that a whole household was baptized and we never exclude small children from a household and anything else that we do when we're talking about a household we always include our little children it doesn't say how old the children were within the household and therefore we can't we can't establish particular qualifications well if they were baptized they, they must have been you know this old we're, we're not told and and if you have a uh, the word household without any qualifications then we can't begin to eliminate members of the household it didn't it, the, the bible doesn't give us that right or authority to eliminate members of the household, simply because they're younger, as opposed to being older. Apostle Paul elsewhere considers uh, children, even small children, to be part of a household, in First Timothy 3, 4. Where we're talking about qualifications of a bishop, or uh, that is an elder, or a pastor, and one of the qualifications is this: one that ruleth ruleth well his own house. Same word, oikos, having, and again, it goes on to explain who are members of his own house that he is to rule well, having his children his children, in subjection with all gravity. And so here we see that the same word that is used in Acts 16.15, oikos, for those who were baptized, that same word is used by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 3.4, for those who whom a minister is to rule well, namely his children. And again, notice here, to rule well as children, there's no qualification as with regard to age. Paul is not saying, well, you're to rule well your children when they reach a certain age, but you don't have to rule well your children if they're less than that age. No, you're to rule your children well regardless of the age young or older, while they're under your roof. If Paul did not remove small children from a household, when talking about a pastor's family, why should those small children be removed from Lydia's household when talking about baptizing them. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be excluded. Now, it it will be objected that if there were any children in Lydia's household that were baptized, as we've noted, they were old enough to profess faith in Jesus Christ. But as I have already noted as well, Acts 16.15 does not make any such qualification. That's a qualification that must come uh, from some place, but it, it does not state that with regard to household baptisms, that there was a particular age or a particular qualification, um, simply that they are members of the family. That they are children uh, of those believing parents. In fact, the profession of faith that is mentioned here in the case of Lydia in verse 15 or in verse 14, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul basically attended unto the things spoken by Paul means that she gave ear to, she received the things spoken by Paul concerning the gospel. It doesn't have that same qualification with regard to the household. It it qualifies her as that was true of her but it doesn't say that was true of any other member within the household. It simply says that paraphrasing it, she believed, she trusted in Christ, and she was baptized, and her household was baptized. Her children within the household were baptized. As we said, the word household, whether there were small children in the household or not, the word household does not exclude small children. When we go to the Old Testament, which I think we find the foundation and the basis for how to treat a household, it doesn't begin in the New Testament. It flows from the Old Testament covenant, the covenant God made with Abraham, is the same covenant Paul says that is made with Christians today in Galatians chapter 3. And in that covenant made with Abraham, we read in Genesis 17, verses 12 through 13, And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man-child in your generations. He that is born in the house... Or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house, and he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Not a temporal covenant, but an everlasting covenant. This covenant God made with Abraham which is basically a covenant of salvation it's a gospel covenant it's a covenant that the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3 was made in Christ that covenant with Abraham was made in Christ confirmed in Christ but notice Every male that is born in thy house, thy household, thy family. Here we have, with, as it pertains to males, females here are represented by the males in the covenant. They're not excluded from the covenant, but they are represented by the males in the covenant. But here we have, with regard to the administration, of that sign that God gave of circumcision, a sign and seal of his covenant to his people that it pertained to the whole house. It didn't exclude little ones. It included even those who were eight days old. It was that... Outward sign and seal of circumcision was not an outward sign and seal of merely uh, possession of the land or a mere national identity. Not according to the scripture. Circumcision was a sign and seal, according to the scripture, of spiritual blessings, of promises. From God, of the gospel. That's what circumcision was a sign and seal of. For example, in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, and the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. Circumcision of the heart. You see, circumcision outwardly pointed to the need of circumcision inwardly. And the promise that God would circumcise the hearts of his people. Those who trust him. Those who walk in faithfulness unto him. That he would circumcise their hearts. We don't have to go to simply the Old Testament to understand that there was an outward sign of circumcision, which was a spiritual sign, was a sign of spiritual blessings. We can go to the New Testament to demonstrate that. In Romans 2, verses 28 through 29, Paul says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. Even Paul says that circumcision outward pointed to circumcision inward it was a promise of inward blessings gospel blessings that's what paul means or in romans chapter 4 verse 11 when paul says concerning the sign of circumcision which was administered to the whole household of males, young and old alike, and was a testimony, was, was a um, sign and seal of God's promises of righteousness in justification. Notice Romans 4.11, And he, that's Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, what was it a sign and seal of? A seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised. Circumcision was a sign and seal of God's righteousness, which we all need in order to be justified and declared righteous before God. That's what Paul is saying. A sign and seal of the righteousness of which Abraham as well needed. Now, if it is, that is circumcision in the Old Testament, if that is an outward sign and seal of the need for inward circumcision of the heart, the cutting away of the flesh, the removal of sin from our our hearts, and if it is a sign and seal of the righteousness of God imputed unto us by faith alone, why then was that sign and seal applied to an eight-day-old infant who couldn't yet believe, who could not yet trust in the God who gives that righteousness who circumcises that heart who could not yet believe those promises because undoubtedly God did here we're told what that sign and seal of circumcision meant to Abraham the promise again of God's righteousness and yet that same promise was applied to his son to his son Isaac and from Isaac to Jacob and and then on and on what circumcision meant to Old Testament believers and to the infants within their household baptism meant to New Testament believers and to small children within their household There was household circumcision, there was household baptism. did not mean that children were excluded in either case from households. They were included within households. In fact, this change from circumcision that was the sign of God's covenant of grace and mercy to his people in the Old Testament, now is baptism as the sign and seal of God's grace and mercy to his people in the New Testament, they mean the same thing, though they are administered differently. Circumcision is the cutting away of sin. Baptism is the washing away of sin. That's what they signify and seal. The same truths, same blessings to God's people. Paul says in Colossians 2, verses 11 through 12, In whom, that is in Christ also, ye are circumcised. Speaking to believers at that time, he says, In Christ you are circumcised. With the circumcision made without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism. In other words, what circumcision means by way of the cutting of the flesh, baptism is that which means the same thing. Circumcision means... Spiritual inward circumcision is signified and sealed by water baptism. And since infants were members of the Old Testament, people of God, the church in the Old Testament, they were not excluded. They were included in the covenant sign and seal. They received that same sign and seal of the gospel promises, as indicated by Abraham in Romans 4.11. I would have you think about how could there be absolute silence in the gospels and in the the epistles if infants had been excommunicated from the New Testament church? And we no longer entitled to God's promises as infants were in the Old Testament church. Do you think that, that those becoming Christians, parents would be jumping up and down for joy saying, All right, my children are no longer included amongst God's people. They will no longer receive the sign and seal of God's promises. Why is there silence? Because, again, that silence would indicate that that continues to be the case in the New Testament. Especially when we never find God forbidding, forbidding the administration of baptism to an infant. And we never find, interestingly, a baptism of a child or a uh, one who is older, who grew up within the church. Why do we not find baptisms of those young people who were raised within the church and then professed faith in Jesus Christ later on, why don't we find in those cases any baptisms? Because they had already been baptized. They had already received the sign of the covenant if their parents were already a part, members of the church. When they came from outside the church, were converts from from Judaism or from uh, heathen religions, when they came into the church as new converts, yes, the parents were baptized and the whole household. But after they become members of the church, subsequent children, as we see in the Old Testament, received the sign of the covenant, when they're small, when they're infants. That's what household baptism is all about. Can you imagine, can you imagine at that period of redemptive history, one day, your children are in the covenant receive the sign of the covenant and the next day they're not they have no place in god's covenant what is a parent to think what are god's people to think jesus says in matthew nineteen fourteen. suffer little children and for and forbid them not to come unto me For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says here, not of such ones or like such ones is the kingdom of heaven. He says of such ones is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven doesn't belong to those like children. The kingdom of heaven here in this particular instance belongs to those who are children who are children. Paul, or Peter, preaches on the day of Pentecost and he says, For the promise is unto you and your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The promise is to you and to your children. Let's be clear here, this does not mean that all who were circumcised in the Old Testament were God's elect. Esau was circumcised, and so was Jacob. But God says in Romans 9, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. They were both circumcised. Circumcision circumcision in the Old Testament certainly signifies and seals god's promises but if those promises are not received by faith then they're not realized likewise those who are baptized all adults who were baptized in the new testament doesn't mean that all who were baptized in the new testament were god's elect simon the sorcerer in acts 8 was baptized and yet he was not a believer he did not truly believe he was baptized not all who are baptized in the New Testament period of time are necessarily God's elect they must receive they must believe Lydia was baptized she believed she received the promises and so we can't say that God's elect individually chosen ones uh, are always, in every case, indicated by circumcision in the Old Testament or by baptism in the New Testament. It is faith in the promises made to us and to our children that causes those promises to be realized, those promises of salvation be realized in our lives and in the lives of our children. there's one objection i want to very quickly look at and one that i'm sure we're all familiar with mark 16 16 where it says jesus speaking says he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved but he that believeth not Shall be damned. And it is noted here that it first says one must believe and then be baptized. Well, let me offer this to you. If Jesus is excluding children uh, from being baptized because of what is said here, Then he's also excluding children from salvation, because it says, likewise, he that believeth not shall be damned. And if little children cannot believe, then are they also damned? He's speaking here of adult converts. He's speaking of those as they go out into the world. He's speaking of adult converts, The ordinary um, order that is followed is to those who are outside the church believe and be baptized. For those who are within the church, as we've noted from the Old Testament, they receive the sign of God's covenant and then looking to to the promises in the covenant, and in the sign of God's covenant in baptism they believe those promises made unto them faith is necessary no one is saying that by virtue or at least we're not saying that by virtue of being baptized that a person is saved we don't believe the bible teaches that faith is necessary repentance is necessary in order to receive the promised blessings of the Lord. So as we conclude uh, the sermon this Lord's Day, let's keep the following points in mind. First, both adults and children who are baptized must receive by faith alone the promise of Christ's forgiveness simply because they're an adult who is baptized does not mean that they receive the blessings of God's forgiveness an adult must believe the promises made in what in baptism and in the gospel just as a child must believe those promises that are signified and sealed in baptism in order to be saved. No doubt, just as someone, an adult, may be baptized and not be truly saved, but then subsequently, sometime later perhaps, look back and say, what does my baptism mean? Does my baptism simply save me? No, I need to believe the promises that are in my baptism. And so it's possible for adults to be baptized and to look back upon their baptism as well and then to believe subsequently. They don't need to be baptized all over again. They've been baptized. So likewise with children. They are baptized Within the church, and they may again, God willing, come to believe and to receive those promises that God has made unto them. It's one thing for God to promise, it's another thing for us to receive the promise by faith. Second, we who have been baptized cannot ignore. Or neglect what our baptism means. Whether we receive baptism as a child or whether we received it as an adult or a young person, and then think that we that everything is going to be okay with us, that God will receive us, God will accept us into heaven when we die simply because we've been baptized. To the contrary, let me say this, make it very clear. If we ignore and if we neglect what our baptism means, namely, our baptism means our need for Jesus and the promise of his salvation through Jesus. If we ignore and neglect what our baptism means, we are not excused by God but rather stand even more accountable before God for having treated the precious gift of baptism and the promise of salvation that is signified and sealed in baptism, treating it with carelessness, keep treating it with contempt. Even more aggravated is our sin, is our guilt, because we have received that which... Signifies and seals God's promises unto us. And third, and I leave this lastly with you, our only hope of eternal salvation is in Jesus Christ. Water baptism cannot save us, the church cannot save us. A minister or a pastor, a pope, or a priest cannot save us. Our good works, which we think that we have done and we offer up to God, cannot save us because they fall so far short of his glory and perfection. Nothing within us can save us. Only and always Jesus can save us. Jesus, whom God sent into into the world to save sinners, only he can save us. That, dear ones, is what baptism means. Only Jesus can wash away my sins. Only Jesus can give me the righteousness of Christ that I need before God, a holy God. Only He can save us, whether it be an adult or whether it be a child that is baptized. Only Jesus can save us. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Thank thee and praise thee for thy goodness and condescension and giving unto us, Lord, these outward signs and seals of thy promise unto us and to our children. We ask our Lord that thou would grant to us thy grace as we think on these important matters as we reflect upon our own baptism and what our baptism means and whether we as individuals are living according to the promise that God has made to us in our baptism, those gospel promises, or whether we be parents and in the administration of baptism to our children and talking with our children, discussing with our children what their baptism means. Lord, may our baptisms not become meaningless to us. May they be full of meaning. May we think, may we dwell upon, Lord, our baptism. It is a confirmation. It is a covenant sign and seal of thy promises unto us. And may we, Lord, with joy and gladness receive by faith these promises. And may our children and our children's children do so as well. We pray, Lord, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.